This is Paul Nobles from Eat Reform, and I apologize right out the gate that I have a very sore throat from cheering on my ultimately losing favorite basketball team, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, and so I apologize that I have the raspy voice thing going on. Um, I do actually have an issue. This is, this is, I'm sharing with you people. I'm not even sure that my wife knows this. Um, I had surgery when I was 10 to remove nodules from my throat. And so um, I've, I'm very sensitive to cheering and yelling and, 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 and that kind of stuff because of that. And I'm, I'm fairly certain anyone that has that problem now likely has a whole different experience than, than what I did as a kid. Um, all I remember was, was lots of ice cream and sherbet. And it, it was actually a pretty, pretty good time to be Paul. If you're going to get surgery, that was the surgery to get. I think if you were a kid, um, probably very similar to tonsils. So once again, um, we have my two trusty cohorts, Carolyn Melee. Carolyn is one of the lead teachers, you know, within Eat to Perform. Uh, I'm sorry, coaches within Eat to Perform. I'm sure most of you know her through her work with, you know, the adjustment team. Um, she might be your coach, uh, and she's been around for a long time, and she helps us with this podcast. Um, Becky Avara is the lead coach here at Eat to Perform. And so um, she basically trains everyone um, to say that she's the lead coach. Um, she, you would not see her in most of your reviews um, because she's more or less the, the top of the heap. But um, obviously most people see her in the private forums and things of this nature. And whenever you hear advice from Becky, it always sounds like advice from me, right? And I think that, that uh, there's good reason for that. And so um, that's something that I really appreciate and I hope all of you appreciate as well. The uh, one thing that I was thinking about as, as we start to get into the topic of, of today was just how diverse our coaches are um, in terms of body image and things of this nature. You know, we always get some level of, of feedback, you know, related to that, sometimes even from clients that don't necessarily understand, you know, kind of what each different channel is doing. Like, as an example, you know, many of the people say, well, you know, you featured this person, you know, three months ago also. Um, Facebook kind of works with a, a little bit of a different infrastructure. And so, when you make a post, sometimes that post takes away from other posts, right? And so it's really hard to have a level of body diversity and then also, you know, have everyone have a viable job, right? So we use Instagram for that where we have more diversity and then we'll have TikTok where we'll be able to tell more of those stories also. But we have started to do it a lot of more a lot more because we do think it's important the 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 interesting thing though so 
um, to give you two examples, right? So the other day I posted a picture of Mandy. I don't know how many people know Mandy, but she's been fairly active in the forums over the course of you know, the last six, seven years or whatever. Um, and, and Mandy is like super abbed up, you know? Um, and, you know, sometimes you, you'll, you'll hear some negative comments about that. You know, she looks manly or, or whatever. And then I curate all that stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't believe that, you know, if, if, if I ask you to share your picture with me, it's my job to protect you. Right. And so, you know, we're really not in the business of having conversations. I see brands all the time that allow people to abuse the people. And I don't, I don't get why anyone would let them um, use their images if they're not going to protect that person. You know, um, it, it's always a fine line because on the one hand, you want to, you know, have some discussions with people, right? Because we're talking about something that is very different. That, that's one of the things that sort of happens, like in the case of, of Mandy, you know, people will often say, well, you know, I'm never going to look like that because I like to eat. And I'm just like, she eats like 3000 calories a day, you know, and, and people, you know, as long as we've been on the internet, people still are not aware that these pictures are happening often when these people are in PR, we'll put up pictures that are side by side of somebody coming out of fat loss and someone that's been in performance for six months. And people will be like, I see a little difference, but not a big difference. And I'm like, the difference is, is that the person's eating double, you know? And there's just so much about the dieting world. And then, you know, what you get is the anti-diet people, right? So there's, there's like the anti-diet people, but they're not like anti-diet, like I'm anti-diet, right? Um, I'm anti-diet from the standpoint of teaching people the correct way to eat so that their body and health is, is proportional. There's a huge movement out there that is very unhealthy in my opinion, um, where it's sort of like an overreaction. Um, and you know, whenever you say the word overreaction, sometimes you will get people that kind of hear that and it, naturally triggers a thought process that's different than what I mean. And what I mean is, is that when we were all in high school, right, and people were mean to us, you know, oftentimes the way that we, we reacted to those people to show them that we didn't care was we went the total opposite, right? And I remember in high school, I didn't feel like I was part of the in crowd or anything like that. So, you know, I mean, the, I mean, I remember showing up at a football game one time in just boxer shorts, you know, like what I was doing in that moment was thumbing the nose at all the cool kids going, I'll be whoever I want and I don't give a shit what you think, you know, and I think what we've done from a dieting perspective is that dieting has failed so many people, right? And look, if you look at the value proposition of it, what, you know, <clears throat> there's the famous Jillian Michaels saying is that that food 
doesn't taste as good as skinny feels, I got bad news for you, Jillian. <laughs> the value proposition of that statement is you, you know, and, and I would actually be concerned about like how you view food because, you know, for most people, especially people that have dug kind of a hole in this process, you know, certainly like I did, um, the value proposition isn't there, you know, and it is an argument for staying fit your whole life, you know, um, but the reason why I'm bringing all this up is because to contrast the Mandy post, right, which, you know, 250,000 people saw that post, you know, got a lot of shares, got a lot of likes, you know, Mandy maybe lost 15 pounds in that process and probably gained 10 pounds of muscle, which is why she looked like that. You know, we put up another post um, for Breen Malone and Breen lost a hundred pounds in that post, right? Super inspiring transformation. I mean, it might've got 87 likes, you know, distribution. I think it was under 10,000. <clears> and I, I bring up this point is because, you know, what people are actually saying in most of these situations is not that, you know, they're trying to dictate what my brand should be or, or how we get our message out or, or whatever. I think we do a real good job of getting the stories out of our clients, all of our clients in varying ways. What a lot of people don't realize is that you can't do before and afters on Facebook and attach an ad to it. Right. So if you go, wait a second. So that means that the only way that those people will be seen is as the after. The after doesn't always tell the story. Right. So you have to rely on organic um, distribution. And the simple fact is, if someone's lost 100 pounds, but the viewer still views that person as needing to lose weight, or in the case of Bree Malone, He's got some loose skin, right? That might not be as preferable as the, the picture of Mandy. So Mandy gets 250,000 organic reach and Brain gets 10, right? Now there's a lot of factors to that. But if you're in the business of trying to tell the story of the people that do eat to perform, right? The business is always going to go in the direction of the organic growth. I'm not even the one doing it, right? It's not equal, you know? And so it does get frustrating to me when someone that is anti-dieting, right, says, all you show is fit people. Well, that's not all we show. You can go to the photos for the last 10 years, but, but what you will see is that the the people that say it's the marketing it's not really the marketing right like social media is 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 the place where we go to get the information that we want right they're serving you up all the information that you want so the good majority of people want to see the stories about mandy and they don't necessarily want to see the stories about Breen 
or maybe me, maybe because I'm a man, right? A lot of different things like that. There's a lot of factors that go into it. But I just, it, it feels inherently unfair when I put up two posts with basically the same content. I would argue that Brie Malone's, you know, um, should be more inspiring, but the market dictates what is actually inspiring to people, right? And there is a money element to this. This is a business, right? And so I look at this business as a way to protect the majority of people who are being preyed upon by the diet industry, right? So when they see that picture of Mandy, they are viewing it with their, their dieting goggles, right? And so I think many of you could probably relate to this. Like you looked at someone, maybe Sarah, maybe Stephanie, you know, some of the pictures that, that we have, you know, this is something that many of you don't know. Um, I'm not even sure that most of the staff knows this, but every single person that is an influencer for Eat to Perform did Eat to Perform. And so, so when you see pictures of someone and you've seen multiple of them, right? They're typically an influencer for Eat to Perform. And so, so, and I feel like that's a good representation. Um, we have a, a good amount of, of body diversity within, within the influencer program also, right? Um, Breen, of course, is, is a bit of one. He, he won't take my money, but, but I did send him a thank you for it. And that, that I think he was pretty appreciative of. But um, yeah, so, <clears throat> you know, I know no one should feel sorry for Paul Nobles because, you know, he has this problem where people that are anti-diet, but I just feel, I just feel like, I just feel like my message is so close to their message, right? But but they won't hear it because they see a fit person, right? But then when I put up a picture of Breen, they don't like that one either, right? For whatever reason, you know? And, and so um, we'll just keep doing what we do. But I think, it, I think it is important for people to realize that, you know, the market does dictate some of this and, and we actually lose money intentionally, right? By putting a wider variety of body transformations because <clears throat> we think it's important for everyone to be represented. Okay, so um, I do see a couple questions have come in. Um, we do need more than that. Um, I'm pretty sure I can run through a couple questions in a few minutes. So if you have some questions about any of the topics that we're bringing up, um, please get those out there. So I think I'm probably going to try and shorten the, the um, part about the summer. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about was the, um, the mass exodus <clears throat> that we'll often see, even, even from lifers during the summer. And just so you know, um, once I'm reversed out of fat loss, I will be intuitively eating. So I will probably be part of that mass exodus from the standpoint of, of my data. But 
I do a pretty good job of, you know, staying with the principles. Hold on one second. Staying with the principles of eat to perform, whether it be low days, whether it be carbohydrates, all these different things in that time. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is you take summer off and you're like, I just need a break from tracking, right? And we know what that means. We know, well, we, we know it means two things. It, it actually can mean one or the other. One, it could mean I'm going to be drinking a lot more this summer, right? I'm going to be eating more freely this summer, things of this nature. And that's fine if you can do that and get on the scale. If you can't get on the scale, that should be the thing right there that tells you, I need some accountability along this way. I guarantee you, when I'm intuitively eating, I am more conscious of the scale, not less conscious of it, right? Like if I'm in fat loss, I don't need to check the scale every single day. Um, I do for the same reason all of you do, right? Because you're interested to see how the progress is going. But um, I'm much more diligent in the period where I'm not so that, you know, I know that things aren't coming off the rails. So you have to have some level of accountability, right? And so I think as coaches, what we see is that people you know, kind of peace out in June. Sorry, I'm, I'm struggling with my dry throat and it's causing me to cough a little bit. And so um, I may start asking some questions to Becky and Carolyn along the way, just to give myself a little bit of a break. Um, but it's important that you have some level of accountability and and i think that you know there's going to be a difference between the way that i'm doing it and the way that you're doing it right so here's the other part where people don't want to track right when people say i just need to take a break from tracking i would say seven times out of ten those people are going to under eat Right, because as you move to intuitive eating, it's not natural necessarily necessarily to push the top in. That's the difference between what I do and what you're probably going to be doing. Right, I'm pushing that top in to make sure that all my performance is better and things of this nature. Um, I mean, just as a little update, I'm down just under ten pounds. We're going into the, the fourth week for me will be on Wednesday. And so the reason why, um, the reason why I've been able to be so successful, uh, you know, I said this in the other podcast, if you didn't listen to it, but I was just looking at the pictures and saw that my last fat loss was seven years ago. So those seven years made a really big difference. And the reason why those seven years made a really big difference was because I kept that intuitive eating real high. So if you're naturally an under eater intuitively, then 
you need to make sure that that you hang around during the summer, right? For accountability, all these different things. And then the last thing I want to say um, in this regard is that some of this, you know, there's always an effort piece to it, right? I'm not going to let people off the hook on that one. Um, but there is likely going to be weight gain over the course of seven years, right? You have to realize that, that the weight gain is, is part of the process. And so um, for some people that, you know, their, their ceiling is 10 and then, you know, um, then they're going to do fat loss again, right? And um, for me, the comfort level was 20. I'd started at 10. Um, hold on one second. I started at 10 um, and then I got uh, my, my knee injured. So it did, it did halt my, my uh, uh, weight maintenance a little bit. Um, there was the whole, you know, ice cream, chocolate and peanuts at the beginning of COVID that kind of like permeated things for a while there. Um, and so, you know, um, I, you know, there's a post up right now, you know, I talk a lot about the fact that I started testosterone three years ago. Um, I wanted to be able to take advantage of that testosterone and, and build some muscle along the way. And I have, um, it's very, very noticeable. Um, I think in my last cut, you know, I probably would have gotten down to about 175 before I really saw, um, you know, big changes. Um, now, you know, I'm, I'm right at the top end of 180 and already seeing lots of changes, you know, so I've definitely put on 10 to 15 pounds of muscle. And so the goal is to kind of keep that along the way. So, um, but my point being <clears throat> is that a lot of people start eating to perform, they go through various cycles, they lose 50 pounds, and then they, they, they cling on to that 50 pound number, because that 50 pound number weighed so much in their head that they almost fail, right? They even get to the point where they leave us, right? Because they're not able to maintain and then they go back to the chronic dieting scenario, right? Which was part of what got them, you know, it, it, it brought them to us in the first place. And more often than not, those people come back and we don't say, I told you so, you know, but, but it's this idea that 10 pounds is somehow, you know, equivalent to 50, right? I mean, I think there should always be a little bit of a comfort ceiling, right? And, and, and you really have to push that because, you know, three to five pounds of fluctuation is not, is not something that people should be uncomfortable with. You know, if you want to not diet, right? Like, and this is something that, you know, I still, I only have, you know, a few people, but when I was coaching people, what every person I coached was when they were in fat loss, the goal was to finish fat loss so that they didn't have to diet, you know, um, for two to three years, right? That was always the goal as I was coaching people. And that needs to be the goal 
for all of you. Now I understand, right? You have your personal comfort level, but I'm just saying that the majority of people that diet gain it all back with interest, right? So this idea that five or 10 pounds, now I do know that, that women's sensibilities are different than men's. And, and many of you who come from a chronic dieting background, you know, that's, that's par for the course, right? But if we're talking about building muscle, if we're talking about having full muscles, if we're talking about working out, you know, we have to also have a discussion about, hey, you're going to weigh a little bit more. I remember having this discussion with one of my longtime clients, um, and this was a while back, but, you know, she was upset that in a podcast, I said, you know, she's probably going to end up being back at 140 at some point. And it really upset her because she worked so hard to get to 127. But <clears throat> I'm the truth teller. I'm the bad guy in this scenario. Becky's also the bad guy, by the way, um, which is why we all we sound so similar. Um, and I'm sure Carolyn, Carolyn's feeling left out. She's a bad guy. Carolyn's nice people. You know, Becky and I are the mean ones. Um, and and so so in the case of of you know, people that are lean, you know, you, it, it, it's going to make sense that you're going to gain and lose the same, you know, 10 to 15 pounds over and over again. But in that process, you will be gaining and, and holding on to muscle that other people wouldn't, right? So it feels like we're being held to this, this starvation standard, right? That all the other companies feel, you know, like is their badge of honor, right? We we starve people and 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 make them unhealthy, and 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 our badge of honor is the opposite of that, you know. And so you have to sort of know that kind of going into things. So I see that um, we're getting in lots of questions, and so um, let's go ahead and and try and and get through those. Okay. Um, we have a question asking, a client's asking, what is the best recommendation for fueling after workouts? I work out with kettlebells, varying days of intensity. So I would challenge you that it's not about after workouts, right? Now, after workouts does have a period where um, it is favorable, right? So, so rather than kind of sitting outside of the cell, the, the foods that you eat um, will, you know, in a predominant way, break the barrier of the cell and be more used in the way that you want to do it. The fact of the matter is, though, is that the science is fairly clear on this, that the, the anabolic window um, is not near as great as most people put it out to be. If so, we'd all be jacked. We'd all be 8% body fat. In the case of women, we'd all be 13 to 15% body fat. It's just not how it works, right? So is it favorable to have, you know, two parts carbohydrate, one part protein? Absolutely, it is, you know, but could that mean Chipotle? Yeah, you know, it doesn't need to mean a shake, you know, could it mean breakfast? Yeah. Does it mean you should avoid fat? No. You know, um, I can tell you that, you know, and by the way, the question that, that you're asking could also apply to pre-workout, right? 
And so for me, if I do, um, if I do two parts carbohydrate, one part protein, and then work out, I will get like a blood sugar thing that will just, I, you know, I've had to stop workouts because of that. So I had to add fat to that meal to, to balance the equation. And, and I feel like that's sort of underrated in that discussion, right? That, that, you know, it feels like we're having discussions about elite athletes when we're talking about that. Um, and for regular people, you know, having a, a, you know, more balanced blood sugar response is probably better. So having a little fat in that scenario, but is it favorable to have that? Sure. It is right. Um, and you can, you can balance it as you need. You can fit it within your macros. All of that is fine. Um, but it's a little bit overrated. And I think people that are obsessing about that in terms of building muscle and being part of the, the, you know, it, it on the order, I'm not even going to try and remember the order. Right. But I know it starts with amounts. Um, I know qualities in there and then timing is fourth or fifth. Right. So, so kind of keep that in mind. And, and, you know, if it's a hundred percent timing is like the 3% at the bottom. Right. So for Usain Bolt, you know, trying to beat somebody by, you know, 0.202 seconds in a race, it probably matters a lot, you know, but for, for you, if you're a lawyer, doctor, you know, teacher, mom, you know, probably not that big a deal. Okay. Bonnie's asking after fat loss, what are the best foods to add back in during AP and heading into PR? I'm always craving all the goodies. I didn't eat in fat loss and tend to overdo it. Yeah. So, which is why, you know, we recommend that you view fat loss as an eight week cycle, right? So that we can normalize foods. It's an interesting question because um, it's probably not the foods that you actually want right? It, it's going to be starches. It's going to be whole grains, you know, things of this nature. I know for myself, you know, there's this nutty bread um, with butter that, that, so for me, I crave fats, you know, which is ironic, right? Because the whole world hates me because I say, you know, that carbohydrates are okay to, to eat, you know, but, uh, but I like the nutty whole grain bread with butter. You know, that's one of the things that, that I bring back. Um, I think one of the most underrated concepts with all of this is transferring the habits that you have in fat loss over to your PR period, right? So now all of a sudden, what we start to see is, you know, instead of, um, you know, potatoes and rice and, and oats and, and bread and, and, and things of this nature that could be favorable, you know, people start to mic and ike it up, right? And so now all of a sudden, instead of, you know, sugars being 60, you know, now, you know, they're eating a lot of refined sugar. In terms of the cravings, I mean, we have to realize that the cravings have a lot to do with the fact that we're eating less, you know, this is why, you know, we've always tried to uncrack the seal on what, what are cravings, right? And so there's all these people that bring up all this nonsense and it's just like, 
wait a second, I think the cravings are because this person doesn't eat very much, you know? And so if, if you eat more, right? And you eat more and you carry over some of those good habits, try and bring 80% of those habits over and then have, you know, a serving size of, of Mike and Ike's, not three serving sizes, right? Um, and, and that'll all be favorable as you go. Now, does that mean that as your calories normalize and calories get to 2,500 and it's a super day that you shouldn't have pizza and wine and, you know, dessert? Uh, no, of course, that, that's, that's, that's part of the plan. And, and those things can be used. They can be, you know, part of the process. But what I think happens, and if we're all being honest with ourselves, because I know for myself this was true, is that as I moved more to intuitive eating, I mean, one of the things that was just shocking, right, is as I started to measure more, um, one, I saw that I was over-consuming fats, right, much more than I would have, because that's, you know, part of the thing that is kind of inherent to me. But also, like, my protein, you know, what I thought was, you know, six ounces of cook protein was probably like two and a half right so i would have been under consuming protein that whole time so you got to carry those those over and then i would use the flexibility on like your super day right and then um you know really just make sure that you know the the one thing that people i think will honestly if they if they if they're capable of doing that is that it just ends up being a lot of food, right? Like just grabbing three servings of Mike and I to hit your macros, you know, it, I, I think people take the fat loss really serious and they're super rigid about it. And then they let the things go in PR and then that's the problem. Right. And so it's not the macros that's the issue. It's that it's just a lot of food in VR. Right. And also there is the pressure of kind of going to the gym and things of this nature. And so it's like now all of a sudden, you know, this healthy way of eating has become burdensome because, you know, it it's really about changing your North Star. Right. If your North Star is, you know, performance, better life, health, all these different things, you know, then the eating more food feels worth it. But if it's scale weight still, right, and we still can't get past that, what's going to end up happening is you're going to go, well, you know, I'm just going to take a break from this, under eat, and then we get back to the, the, the dirty little secret of dieting in general is that most people don't overconsume most of the time. What happens is, is their body adjusts down to that 1,600, 1,500 calories, right? So then when you do overconsume 2,200 calories, right, it's more likely to store. When you're at 2,500, the majority of the time, and you go to Vegas and have a great time, you come back weight stable. If you're at 1500, you don't. So when you leave, you're putting yourself much more at risk if you're, if you're under eating intuitively, 
right? At at causing the problem again. And then we've got to ramp up the metabolism. We've got to do all the things that are important to each reform. So if you can transfer those habits over, it can make a really big difference. And I think that there's a, there was a concept that was sort of overrated um, back in the day, but the concept was eat this, not that. And I'm a real big fan of this idea, especially when we're talking about moving from you know, the Mike and Ike's way of thinking, just in case you don't know, I have Mike and Ike's in my candy drawer. I think that's the little secret I'm giving away right now that I really like Mike and Ike's. Um, but um, by the way, I have a candy drawer. I, I, so I have a whole family event coming. And it's so funny because there's going to be so much food that I will not be eating. And, and, and people go, well, is that antisocial? I mean, it's like, it's like, okay, wait a second. I'm talking about a six week period here, you know, where seven, for seven years, these people saw me eat all that food, right? And no problem at all. But all of a sudden I'm like a pariah because I'm having salads today. I don't think anybody's going to give a shit one way or the other. I think what happens is we overblow it almost as an excuse to go, well, that's why I went off the rails a little bit, right? The whole point of the six weeks is that, yeah, there's going to be some inconveniences, but you have to figure out a way to work around it. And it's also an argument for, for being proactive, you know, but um, yeah. So, so the eat this, not that concept is simply that, you know, you take healthy choices with those calories and you put those into the mix, right? If everything that you eat, is, is energy dense or nutrient dense and not energy dense, well, then you're just going to be eating all the time. But there are nutrient dense foods that also have energy. Nuts would be a great example. Um, I'm trying to think of, of carbohydrates specifically that, you know, would be, that's a little bit more difficult. You just kind of have to have volume there, right? Because, you know, um, fats have nine grams per per um, nine grams as opposed to four. So that's the difference. All right, let's keep going. Speed round here. Okay, Taylor has been asking me a question here and I think it stems from possibly a post you have done recently about um, the low, medium, high super day. I'm not sure if you specifically, Paul, are doing something different right now with your days, but um, asking about the philosophy of that and um, for instance, um, they have a long run that they find they're not fueled for whatever day it falls on. Um, so if you have anything to say about that low, medium, high, and super in the order that we have them. Yeah, so so calorie average is always a factor. Um, I 100% do the same rhythm that all of you are doing because it's, it's the best way to do it. Um, so one, you should be dieting out of season, right? So if you're in fat loss and you're uncomfortable, you, that's, there's a reason for it. You shouldn't be dieting, right? Um, that doesn't mean that some people don't, but at the same point, um, you know, we're not going to add food to your fat loss cycle, right? It's, it, it, it becomes a priority thing. You know, what's more important? Is it more important to get better at running or is it more important to lose the weight? You know, and so 
the good majority of time, you should be fueled and trying to get better at running, right? But then there's the other time where if we're talking about six weeks, let's go all in on those six weeks, which is going to make the running a little uncomfortable, you know? But I can tell you that we have ultra marathoners, right, that do these and they're not not running, you know, but, you know, if their normal sessions are 12 to 15 miles and in the off season, they're at five, you know, I will tell you that if we add calories to all of those days, well, we're, we're not going to get the response from fat loss. The most overrated thing related to weight loss is exercise. That, that's been, that's been documented scientifically. That's the data we have, right? The, the fact of the matter is, is fat loss sucks and, you know, dieting is stress. And so if you're trying to stress your body with exercise, which the whole point of stressing your body with exercise is to get better at that exercise, you're kind of doing two things at once. And you sort of want to get to a point where you, you don't. Now, the argument isn't no exercise. The argument isn't no running. The argument is doing it most optimally, right? There's really no reason, if you think about it, why you need to be in fat loss. You just, you know, and I don't know your situation. I'm not seeing your file, you know, all these different things. And you probably will be running even when you're in fat loss eventually. But more often than not, it's a reaction to the fact that people weigh more or whatever, and they kind of falsely equate. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't not matter, you know, um, but they falsely equate that weighing less is going to be that much better for their running. I would argue that if somebody is eating 3000 calories, right? being 10 pounds lighter is not going to be as favorable as those 3000 calories for running. Right. So that's why we have people cut out of season. So um, now have I adjusted? Um, I have adjusted people and I can tell you exactly what happens. It messes with their fat loss, you know, so you have to figure out what your priorities are. Rachel's asking, what advice do you have for someone who is in AP moving to PR and has a couple of weeks during the summer, not consistently hitting greens, too much travel, vacation, eating out, not getting as much quality activity when weight starts to creep up, but not planning fat loss again until fall? Well, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to do. Um, bring, buy a travel scale, you know, 1995. Um, Best investment I've ever made in terms of weight management. And the best part is that my travel scale is about a pound and a half. So you know what we call that, right? My new scale. <laughs> it's a pound and a half lower. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. But, but it is kind of fun um, getting on my travel scale. And, and it has that little, so, so it, it mentally makes me feel a little bit better. But travel scales are the best. The other thing too is that like, there's two kinds of travel, right? There's, there's the travel like I'll be doing here in a few weeks where I'm headed to New Orleans. I don't normally have the ability to eat that kind of food normally. So I am going to be indulging, but I'll also be exercising at the time. 
if you're business traveling or something in this nature, you know, mixing in, you know, mostly low carb way of eating or mixing in, um, you know, stay exercising if you can. Um, I mean, even though what I just said sounds like I'm anti-exercise, exercise is phenomenal for keeping weight off, right? It's just not phenomenal for weight loss itself without a lot of negative consequences, right? So that's why you opt for a calorie deficit more. But um, I just do not believe um, that, that you should go on vacation. Um, and I understand mentally, some of this is difficult for many of you, but, it's, but, but what's more mentally difficult? Right. I know you want to break from the scale and regular life and all this stuff, but coming back 10 pounds up, right? Is that better? You know what I mean? So I feel like I feel like, you know, if we're conscious and, and doing things, you know, mostly the right way, you know, you kind of do know the secret, right? She was just talking about the rhythm. We all kind of know the 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 what the rhythm is doing, right? It's pushing calories up good majority of the time, super days and high days work for that reason. And that's what makes the low days more effective. The problem is we don't want to do low days on vacation because we're on vacation, right? But every day doesn't need to be like Disneyland and fireworks, right? So kind of keep that in mind. But, but man, if there's any one thing I can say about this summer, if that's, you know, that's, that's the topic we're having, it's get a travel scale. You know, it, it will provide you. It's so funny because people believe that these things are so burdensome and it's sort of like pre-logging your food. It's like that discipline actually provides you more freedom mentally, not less. So I hope that answers her question. But. I think so. Uh, Becky has a few of these questions answered. So I just have this two part one from Karen. I always like to know what's next. When we reach PR and we are weight stable, I'm assuming our macros stay set for the duration until our weight trends upward or downward. For example, summer allows for increased outdoor activity. And as fall winter approaches, activity levels might decrease and weight might trend upward. At the same time, the team adjusts macros to assist with staying weight stable. Also, Karen's asking, does the team approach an adjustment different based on body comp, overall size and sex? As I listen to Paul, a five to 15 pound change is a big increase for an overall smaller person. So 15 pound change would be, right? But 10 pounds, not so much, you know, that, that would be common, you know? I just, I just think, I just need to caution people that three to five is just fluctuation a lot of the time, you know? And so, so if the goal is, you know, I, I just don't want people having this really rigid mindset about 10 pounds when we're really talking about 50, right? So if, if you've lost 50 pounds, and you gain 10 pounds back, it might not be your situation, right? What I'm just simply saying is, is that we get held to this standard related to 10 pounds when the person's actually talking about 50 pounds, right? It's like 10 pounds in comparison to 50 is a big difference. So to answer your question, the adjustment team is always going to push you to a comfort level, right? Now, 
do we have numbers and ideas based on how much you weigh, your height, things of this nature? Absolutely. You know, we're looking at how you're working out, what you weigh, what your size is, and we kind of know the comfort level related to that, but every single person is a little bit different. So let me give you an example that might help you, right? So if you're 5'2", 110, you know, we might view your, your top end at 2,200 calories if you're working out, say, five um, days a week or four days a week, something of this nature. So you're, you're, you're an exerciser, right? But you're not necessarily... So for us to push you to 3,200 might not be good mentally for you. Now, you might say, no, I want to do that because I want to actually be in a surplus because I haven't built muscle in quite some time. So you have part of control in that customization. So this is why, you know, the more communication from the client, the better we can serve you. Right. But if you're the communication from the client is, is I don't want these calories or what, what you're saying sounds a lot like what most people believe maintenance is right. Here's what maintenance is. Maintenance is the limiting belief that a lot of people have that 200 more calories is maintenance. Right. And uh, the reality is, is we know from all the data that we have, that maintenance is much higher than that and that clients can maintain weight much higher than that. And the reason why most diet companies that, that are trying to do it somewhat right, you know, will allow you to stay at, at 200 calories more is because they mostly sell dieting. We're mostly selling a more healthful way of eating, right? And so we're going to push that as much as we can get away with, but there's no real reason to push you to say 4,500, you know, even if you could get away with it, right? It's just, it might not be mentally. And, and I can tell you that, that for a while we did push people um, in that way. And um, there's many reasons why we stopped doing that, but we still, we still do push people, um, and, and we will have those conversations. If you haven't had a bump in a month and you've been weight stable, it is my belief, it is the data that we see that why wouldn't you take that extra, right, to, to keep that metabolism revving as, as high as it can. And now, if you're losing weight, it sort of depends on what your goals are right? I mean, if you're, if you're at 2,200, right, and you're still losing five and 10 pounds, I mean, it does happen occasionally. Now you're at risk of, of, of losing muscle, right? So we're going to start to pack on more calories there. And ironically, a lot of those calories are going to be fat, because we want to get those calories high enough. And carbohydrates, you know, I mean, you can get up to 400 carbohydrates and still not that many calories. It's only 1600, you know? So as you know, you see people in the higher macro 3,500, what you often see is that, that those people have pretty high fats. So I think I addressed both, but both questions, but um, if I didn't let me know. 
No, I think you've you've touched on that and and we've got through everybody's questions. Okay, perfect. So I appreciate everybody being here. I think that we um, covered a lot of ground, but I just think that that you know if you're going to take the summer off and you're going to not check the scale, right? Or check the scale once every two weeks. I just, I just need you to know that I just don't think that's best for mental health. I'm not trying to sell you on buying more either form. I could care less about that. You know, we, we, we have a good client base. We, deal with many, many clients. We don't need to tell people lies to get clients. This is one of the things that's so frustrating to me about the diet industry, where they're just telling everybody the best story. You know, I put an article up today on hormone replacement that I think is, is really helpful. But we had one lady respond talking about how hormone replacement, you know, made her lose all this weight. And I'm like, hormone replacement did not do that lady. <laughs> the the you eating less food did that right now if she was eating 1100 calories and not losing weight and now all of a sudden did bioidentical hormone you know um and now she's got more energy that would have been helpful as it relates to a lot of pieces of the equation but you know um there is this want out there that medication, hormones, all these things are going to be favorable. And I mean, there's four people on this phone call right now that I know for fact are on those things, right? And it's not doing it for them. And so this lady wanted to put it out like it was a miracle. And I agree, it is a miracle for you if your testosterone is below one, right? Your, your free testosterone is below one. And getting that to, to four to five is great, but it's not this panacea that people want to believe that it is and that it's all of a sudden going to spur a bunch of weight loss when it's not going to do that, right? In fact, a good majority of the symptoms actually cause weight gain. And so what I think happened was is that this person was overweight, using a bad approach to dieting. Now, all of a sudden, they have this energy, they're able to work out. You know, maybe they blew through a little bit of muscle, right? Those aren't positives. You know, we get a lot of pushback from people that say, well, I, you, I lost 27 pounds in, with intermittent fasting. I'm like, did you? Did, was it intermittent fasting that did it or was the taking out the Mountain Dew Code Reds? Because I think it was taking out the Mountain Dew Code Reds, you know? And that's the part where people aren't really honest with themselves about is that they want to believe that the fairy tale is real. And then all of a sudden, once they get past that three month window, six month window, one year, five year window, what they start to realize is that our approach, the approach that all of you are doing is actually the approach that's actually working when they're maintaining their fitness along the way and certain, certainly a certain amount of, of weight management along the way. So, Appreciate everybody being here. I am going to have a great day with my family. It's our annual cribbage tournament. Uh, I believe this is the 30th year. We've actually had two um, 
I had to Google Mountain Dew code. I've never had a Mountain Dew code red, by the way, but it's been my thing to use this week. So um, I appreciate everybody being here and uh, I hope everybody has a great, great weekend. Talk to all of you later. Bye now.